all of us in our minds, we have um, what we would consider normal. Okay? <laughs> Jeff says some of us. But what's, what, here's the point I'm trying to make, though. What's normal to you, Jeff, is not necessarily normal to me, and it's not necessarily normal to Adam or normal to Mason. We all have what's normal to us, right? And so just to kind of prove the point uh, that we all have different normals, because a normal comes from our background. It comes from how we were raised. It comes from our tradition. It comes from our education, but I just want to take a poll this morning to, to just kind of see the different normals that we have in the room. So we're going to talk about, you know, church normals. How many of you, uh, maybe you were raised in the Baptist church? Let me see your hand. Okay, quite a few. Okay. How many of you were raised in, um, uh, I don't know, charismatic church? Let me see your hand. Okay. If you're raised in Pentecostal church, you raise both hands. Uh, how many uh, were raised in the Catholic Church? Presbyterian? I don't see any. Anglican. I know we've got some Anglicans here. They're just maybe not here today. Um, how about Church of Christ? All right, all right. So we, we all have what we consider normal. And, uh, and to illustrate this further, I brought, us, I brought to you today some light bulb jokes. And so uh, just go ahead and just loosen up. Relax, get ready to laugh at yourself. So here, here we go. How many Baptists does it take oh, wow. to screw in a light bulb or to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? <laughs> Come on, laugh at yourselves. How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but they've already got their hand in the air. So... How many, uh, how many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? How many? Ten. One to actually change the bulb, nine to bind the spirit of darkness. <laughs> how many Catholics does it take to change the light bulb? They don't change light bulbs because they use candles. <laughs> how many Church of Christ does it take to change a light bulb? They don't change light bulbs either because it's not in the New Testament, so that's, it's unscriptural. <laughs> so... Like I said, we have a bunch of different normals in the room, what we consider is normal. And so that's why we're talking about the Holy Spirit this month. And my prayer is that our, our view of the Holy Spirit or our theology, our you know, overall theology, would not come necessarily from what we were raised in or our tradition or our education or background, but it would come from this right here, from what the Bible says. That's, that's my prayer for us today. So that this is the thing that normalizes how we view Holy Spirit. And not just, uh, you know, uh, rumors, things that, you know, people have packaged Holy Spirit in a certain way that maybe have turned you off. People, things that you have seen on television or in the media and movies or on, on Facebook that you're like, those Holy Spirit people are weird. And, and you know what? Some of them are weird, but they still love Jesus and they still have the Holy Spirit. But what we need to do is figure out what does this say about Holy Spirit and let this become our normal and not things that we see on social media or not things that were just raised up in our tradition. And so that's what we're doing here in this series. Last week we talked about how the, trans, the translated word Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, really the word Spirit or the, we see the Holy Ghost, that's just not a great English 
translation of what that says in the Hebrew and in the Greek. There's not one singular English word that really packages what the Ruach and the Numa, the Hebrew and the Greek. And, and so if we really dig into it and we look, we see that the Scripture says the Holy Spirit is like a breath of fresh air. That's who He is. He's a breath of fresh air. So I just want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go to our website uh, and, and look in the messages section, and you can click on the link, or you can go to Apple Podcast and go listen to that message last week and catch up on what we've been talking about, Holy Spirit. But today, I want to talk about a word that has had all of us running at one point or another, and that's the word Pentecost or Pentecostal. And when I say that it's had us running, I mean it's either had you running around the room or it's had you running away from the room. And I think there's just some confusion that is uh, surrounding that word and surrounding that term. But if we really look at it, we see that that word is just a holy day. That's what it means. It's a holy day. It's a holiday. And so in Judaism, there's several holidays and feasts. There's seven of these holidays and feasts. And one of the cool things that we see in the life of Jesus is that he reveals who he is and what he wants to do through the feasts, through the holidays. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Don't think that I have come to abolish or to do away with the law and the prophets. I didn't come to do away with those things. And when he says the law, he's talking about you know, what we understand as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And he says the prophets, that would be the remainder of what we know of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come here to do away with that stuff. I came here to be the fulfillment of all of it. Like, hey, you guys didn't know what was going on for, for these many years, but here I am in your presence to show you what God has been doing all this time from the beginning. Jesus wants to give us this picture of the plan that, we ha- that he has for our life. And so I want us to look at this picture Um, in the context of a couple of these major Jewish holy days. One of these major holy days is Passover. Passover is the celebration of when the Hebrews were delivered out of Egypt. Out of being slaves in Egypt, they were delivered out of that. So just a little bit of background. The descendants of Abraham, also known as the Hebrews, a.k.a the Israelites, they went to Egypt because there was a famine in that region of the world. And because of Joseph, who was also Hebrew, he was actually kind of running Egypt, the most powerful nation at the time in the world. The Lord revealed to him that the famine was coming, and he, he was running the entire nation, so he stockpiled grain, and he was prepared for the famine. And so we had all kinds of people going to Egypt during this time in, in human history, Because Egypt was prepared. And so the Hebrew people ended up there, and the Lord began to bless them, and they began to multiply. And the Egyptians got a little intimidated by that. And so they enslaved the Hebrew people and made them their slaves. And 430 years later, that's a long time, Moses shows up on the scene, and God uses him to deliver the Hebrew people out of slavery, out from underneath the Egyptians. 
And um, Pharaoh, he didn't want to let the people go. He didn't want his slaves go. I mean, if you were a slave master and you had all this free labor, basically, and you're like, we're building pyramids in honor of me. We're using these people to do it. Why would I just let, my slave, let all these slaves go? Two and a half million people. Why would I just release them? So Pharaoh is reluctant, so God sends ten plagues in response to Pharaoh's continued unwillingness. And the final plague was the death of every firstborn male. And so, of course, God didn't want the Hebrews, he didn't want any of them to have their children or their, their adult men, any firstborn males in, in their people group. He didn't want them to die. So he gave instruction to Moses, and Moses gave instruction to the people. And this is what the instruction was. He says, I want you to, to get a lamb. And it has to be a perfect lamb. It can't be sick. It can't have a broken leg. It can't be the scrawniest one in the litter. But you've got to get the best lamb that you can find and slaughter it. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to put it, you're going to paint your doorpost with that blood. And then you're going to prepare that lamb and you're going to eat it. And so the reason they would put it around the doorpost is because... <laughs> the death angel was going to move through the land. And when the death angel saw the blood posted around the door, he would know to pass over that house. And the firstborn males in that household would not die, but they would live. And so that's where we get Passover from. Now, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Pharaoh. He finally relented, and he let the Hebrews go. And so we, we know the story of, you know, they cross the Red Sea and Pharaoh changes his mind. He comes after them and Pharaoh and his army drowned in the sea. And then God gives them this instruction that he wants them to continue to remember and celebrate this event, the Passover event. And, and so in preparation every single year for the Passover when they observe this, they get a lamb, a perfect and spotless lamb. And they slaughter that lamb at 9 a.m. And then they do everything they need to, clean the lamb. And by 3 p.m., at 3 p.m., they put the lamb into the oven so that it is ready for dinner. Now, keep in mind that Jesus said that he didn't come to do away with the law. As a matter of fact, I just read this week a very prominent, well-known pastor uh, was quoted in saying something about the Old Testament. You know, Christians don't need to worry so much about the Old Testament because it's a hang-up. And I don't know if his words were being taken out of context. Uh, I would have to go back and listen to the entire sermon and give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but I know this. We can't just do away with the, with the Old Testament because it reveals to us who Jesus is. We're not bound to keep the law that's in the Old Testament, um, and we'll get to that here in a second, but we can't do away with it. And when I say we can't do away with it, I mean, again, we're not bound to keep the letter of the law. We're not, I'm not, you know, ha having to prepare my food. I don't prepare any food. My wife's not having to prepare our food in two different kitchens, you know. Uh, we, we don't have to, to go through all the, jump through all those hoops anymore, praise God, but we can't just disregard 
all that stuff because it reveals to us who Christ is. And Jesus, again, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And, and so 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so we remember on the very first Good Friday, Jesus was crucified during Passover. Anybody want to guess what time he was crucified? 9 a.m. Anybody want to guess what time he was put into the tomb? 3 p.m. We can't do away with the Old Testament. See this beautiful like type and shadow, how one event mirrors the other and how God reveals himself to us that Jesus is a deliverer? Jesus is the, the blood of the lamb in the Passover meal. The, the reason they would do all this was to remember that, that the blood of that pure and spotless lamb covered their sins. They were, now, they were still sinners, but the blood covered their sins. And they would still have to atone for their sin through blood sacrifices of bulls and goats and sheep. And, but they, went, they jumped through all those hoops to remember that there was a blood atonement for their sins. But Jesus' blood poured out doesn't cover our sins. It washes them away. It washes them away. And so, yeah, praise God for that. Amen. So Passover represents salvation. Salvation does not come by reading your Bible. It does not come by praying. It does not come by church attendance. It does not come by serving. It does not come because of giving. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that you do to deserve salvation. It is a free gift from God. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Your doing does not get you saved. It's a free gift. And here's the cool part. God doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with salvation. There's more that God wants to do in our life beyond just salvation. The other major, uh, one of the other major holidays is Pentecost. Pentecost, you guys ready for this? I'm going to drop some revelation on you. I'm going to tell you what Pentecost means. It means 50. Did you just get goosebumps just now? Did you want to run around the room? Pentecost means 50. Well, 50 what? 50 days after Passover. What happened 50 days after Passover? The very first Passover, what happened 50 days later? The Hebrew people, two and a half million of them, are gathered at Mount Sinai, and the, the Spirit of God shows up with a loud noise and with fire, and uh, the Lord delivers the law to Moses, and 3,000 people get this crazy idea in their head that we're just going to forget what God just did, and we're going to take all of our gold and boil it down, and we're going to create an idol in the image of a golden calf, and we're going to worship that. And of course, God is not going to have any of that, and three, three, those 3,000 people died that day. And so to remember what happened on this day, we have God, again, telling the Hebrew people, I want you to remember this and celebrate this, and this is why I'm giving you Pentecost, 50, 50 days after Passover. Now, fast forward 
to the day of Pentecost, 33 AD. Acts chapter 2, we read about how the Holy Spirit descended with a loud sound and fire. And now instead of God's law being written on tablets of stone, Romans chapter 2 says that now God's law is written on hearts of flesh. And instead of 3,000 people dying on the day of Pentecost, 33 AD, 3,000 people hear the good news about Jesus and they get saved. See the type and shadow again? Can't do away with the Old Testament. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, after his suffering, suffering, this is talking about Jesus and his suffering being at the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a, 40, over a period of 40 days. And you're like, hey, wait a second, I thought we were, it was 50. I'll tell you where those other 10 days went. Just a second, hang on. So Jesus appeared to them over 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait, and there's the 10 days right there. There's a 10-day waiting period from the time Jesus ascended to heaven and then on the day of Pentecost. And they're in Jerusalem in an upper room. And Jesus says, wait there for the gift my Father promised. In other words, God has something for us in addition to what Jesus accomplished at the cross and through his resurrection. Jesus is saying, hey, I paid the ultimate price. I, I paid the ultimate sin debt. You don't have to worry about that anymore, but I got something else really good for you. And you've heard me speak about this. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, in 10 days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So my question is this. If water baptism, if baptism of repentance and salvation is good enough, then why is Jesus talking to the disciples now about a different baptism? Jesus is saying, hey, there's, we got a different baptism here. Yes, we got the John baptized in water, and that's good, and we need to do that. And I did that, and you need to follow my example in that. But I got another baptism for you as well. And why? Why, what, why do we need this baptism? He says this in verse 8, Acts 1 8. He says, because you're going to receive power. Everybody say power. power. Now, this is not a salvation issue, this is an empowerment issue. Jesus is saying, I want you to have this power because I've got things for you to do. And he says, what are the things? You're going to receive this power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Why do we need the power? Because you're going to be my witnesses. I like how one translation puts it. One translation says, you're going to be my bold witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all over the world. This would be like Jesus saying to us, Hey, I want you to be my bold witnesses. I've got this power for you. The Holy Spirit's going to come give you this power so that you can be bold witnesses in Middle Tennessee and Murfreesboro and the whole state and all over the United States and wherever your foot touches the earth. Pentecost is not about wild church services. That's not what it's about. When the Holy Spirit comes... Is it foreign to our way of living? Is it foreign to the, to the culture of this world? Absolutely. But that's not, it's not wild for the sake of wild. It's not different for the sake of different. It's not crazy for the sake of crazy. And it doesn't always have to be crazy. It's not about swinging from chandeliers and rolling around 
on the, in the floor and making animal sounds and barking and stuff, okay? That's not what Pentecost is about. It's about power. Pentecost is about receiving power to make a difference. It's about God empowering his church to do a work that we cannot accomplish without that power. Can I tell you a little secret? Actually, it's not a secret at all. Um, If you follow the church calendar, and I'm not talking about the calendar on our website, but I'm talking about the global church calendar, then you know that next week is Pentecost Sunday. I guess I'm the only one that thinks that's cool coming up. Listen, the Holy Spirit's already been poured out on us, but I just want to throw this out there. What would happen if we came next week with a little bit more expectation in our heart? And then the week after that, and the week after that, because it's not about a day on the calendar. Although we celebrate and we remember, and that's why we have these days. But the Holy Spirit's been poured out on us, and you can have this power available to you 365, 24-7. I, yes, I flip that around. Usually it's 24-7, 365. But anyway, it's available to you. These two major holidays, Passover and Pentecost, they reveal to us there's two major things that we need to know about our lives as believers. Number one, real life begins at Passover. Our life begins at the cross. Salvation begins at the cross. And if you've never made the decision to give your life to Jesus, if you've never done that before, you can do it today. And you don't have to join this church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to start serving. You don't have to give because it's not about doing those things to get salvation so that no one can boast. It's not about our works. It's a free gift from God. But then once you're saved, God has an assignment for you. But the assignment is too big for you, and you need Pentecost. You need power from him in order to accomplish the assignment that he gives you. It's about mission. It's about God using your life to make a difference. Last week, we talked about how Holy Spirit is a breath of fresh air to our lives, and that's absolutely true. And Holy Spirit wants to make power available to you to accomplish the work of God on the earth today. And there's a few ways that the Holy Spirit wants to empower us. The first one is this. Holy Spirit empowers us to live righteously. Can everybody say that with me? Holy Spirit empowers me to live righteously. Remember what happened on that first Pentecost? The very first one. The law was given. Right? And now I know some of us, we're struggling to obey the law. We're struggling to obey the law that's written on the outside. We're trying to obey a law that's written on tablets of stone. We're trying to, we look in here in the scriptures and we see what holy living looks like. And we're trying to, but we just can't seem to do it. The struggle is real, y'all. It's like, what is the deal? Why can't I get my act together? But let me tell you this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit... The law is not just something that's written on the pages of this Bible. It's not just written on tablets of stone. It's now written in your heart. The law becomes grafted into your DNA. And there's 
all the law is summed up into this. This is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it all boils down to is what Jesus said. And that is now written on our hearts. One of the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives is he begins to change our desires. You don't have to worry so much about obeying, obeying it because it just becomes part of you. This is what Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says. It says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, so if the Spirit of God lives in you, the old sinful nature, that's not what dominates me anymore. That's not what rules me anymore. I'm not slave to that anymore. I'm obedient to the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit wants to do a transforming work on the inside of us. It's not about me trying to obey a set of commands. I'm now realizing that there are, those commands are just part of my DNA. And I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. And you're like, oh, man, I'm, just, I'm, I'm struggling with that. I don't want to even want to. Then just invite the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he will change. He will change you. He will change your desires. It's way more fun this way. It's a lot easier this way. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would guide you into all truth. So listen, it's more than just Holy Spirit empowering us to navigate through the do's and don'ts. Holy Spirit wants to help us with all of our decision making. There might be things that, that look like the obvious choice, but Holy Spirit knows the path, even if the path that he wants you to take doesn't look obvious. The prophet Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. He says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Seven years ago, Jamie and I were on staff at a large church in Colorado. And actually next month will be the anniversary of when the Lord began to speak to our hearts about leaving Colorado and coming to Tennessee. And so as we began to walk down that path and begin to pursue that, um, we just kept running up against things that just were holdups. And it became stressful. It became stressful very much so for my wife. It became stressful on me, but I didn't really show it that much. You know, guys got to keep it together and be strong and... Um, and it was, very also, it was also very stressful on our church, on the church staff that knew what was going on, on my pastor. And um, it was so stressful that we began to entertain the idea of maybe we need a backup plan. Maybe this isn't what God has told us to do. Maybe God wants us to take us somewhere else. And so we began kind of feeling it out. And we found out there was a church in Missouri that wanted us to come. So we started down that path, and we had submitted our resume and started conversations with the executive pastor there and, and uh, had gone through an interview. And I remember we had a next-level interview scheduled, but something wasn't right. And it wasn't that church. It was just the fact that I knew what Holy Spirit wanted me to do. So I remember sitting in the parking lot of Sam's Club in Loveland, Colorado, dialing the number, the phone number of that executive pastor to have that next level interview while I sat there in my car. And he answered the phone. 
I said, hey, um, I know this is the time that we had scheduled to have this interview, but I just want to stop the, the whole process right now. He said, was everything okay? Is something wrong? Did you decide to go in a different direction? I said, well, there, there's, no other different, there's no different offer on the table right now. I just know that this is not what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. So if we continue down this path, this is really just going to be a big waste of your time and my time. He says, well, okay, thank you for your honesty. And we stopped that process. Now, were things like moving along with getting, coming here to Tennessee? No. <laughs> Had we seen any kind of glimmers of hope or, or you know, like the process moving fast? No, no. I just knew this is what Holy Spirit wanted us to do. He wanted us to hold out. And we eventually got here. And now look around and see what God is doing. And it's amazing. And it's awesome. Praise God. And I'm so glad that my family was obedient. And let me tell you this. I ran into that executive pastor just a couple of weeks ago at a conference. And he and I had seen each other a little bit on social media. And we had been on a video chat before. But we had not really got to take any time to, to personally catch up with each other. And I, I knew this, that he had left that church like a year or two later after we had started going through that process. And he went and planted his own church. And so he and I were talking at this conference two weeks ago, and we're just catching up on things. And I said, oh, hey, tell me about the church where you used to be on staff. I hear this and I hear that. And he says, oh, man. He says, um, not that long after I left, he says, things really began to unravel there. And I'm not, he wasn't trying to say, oh, I was so awesome. But he was just saying just, there were some scenarios and some things going on behind the scenes that he didn't even know about. And things began to unravel there. And there's been a lot of devastation. There's been a lot of casualties, a lot of heartbreak. And when I heard that, my heart was broken for them. My heart was broken for those people. But I was also very glad that for my family's sake, that we listened to the Holy Spirit, even when it was stressful, even, if it, even when things didn't look like it was hopeful. We still listened. So listen, holy living, living, uh, Holy Spirit empowering us to live righteously is not just about like being a goody two-shoes. It's not just about did I sin or did I not sin today. It's, it's way bigger than that. It's about did I accomplish God's plan for my life today? Did I walk in God's plan for my life today? So yes, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live righteously, but he also empowers us to live supernaturally. Say that with me. Holy Spirit empowers me to live supernaturally. We can all agree that Jesus lived a supernatural life. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus performed signs and wonders and miracles. But remember, Jesus said, he said, I'm going to the Father, and now you are going to do even greater works than I did. The power of the Holy Spirit the power that he makes available to us, it's not for emotionalism. It's not for hype. Although there are times where we do feel that felt presence, and we talked about that last week, and we should absolutely hold in high regard the felt presence of God. But we don't get goosebumps for the sake of getting goosebumps. We don't get a, you know, we talked about Charles Finney, and he talked about how it felt like electricity running through his body. 
the Holy Spirit didn't give him that experience just so he had a cool story. He gave him that experience so that he would know, hey, I'm real and I have power available to you. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Why? So that Jesus could go around doing all the good that he did and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with, with him. I want to point this out. We see this time and time and time and after again in the New Testament. When the Holy Spirit is mentioned, power is mentioned. Holy Spirit, power. Holy Spirit, power. We need Holy Spirit power to do Holy Spirit works. Can I just tell you, it saddens me when believers don't believe. When well-meaning Christians say, you know what, I, I believe all that in the Bible is true, but I believe it was for you know, a couple of millennia ago. I don't think God really does those kinds of things today. And I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they agree with me on this issue or not. But I just want to say to, to anybody here like that, like, look around. Do you not see what God is doing in our church in Middle Tennessee, around the world? God is at work. Signs and wonders and miracles are available to us today. Jamie alluded to this earlier during worship, but uh, Chris Bruckner, a new friend of mine, a new family member here at Seeds Church, he's in Texas today helping some extended family uh, build a house, uh, but he, he, I think he's going to be here next week or in a couple weeks from now. But he told me, he came up to me after church last week, and he said, hey, Pastor, when Pastor Russell came down here and he gave that word of knowledge about healing, and he asked people to come down here and pray. He goes, I didn't do that because I was just kind of like, I don't want to get out of my seat and go down there. But he did do this. He says, Holy Spirit, I want you to heal me. And so Saturday, he had been dealing with some hearing issues in one of his ears. And on that Sunday morning, he woke up, and the hearing issues were even worse. But when he asked the Holy Spirit in that moment during worship, Holy Spirit, would you just heal me? Boom, immediately his hearing opened up. That happened in our church last week. Praise God for that. Listen. God's power is available to us today. It's available. The great physician has not closed up shop. God still heals people today. He's still in the miracle working business today. Supernatural power is available to us today. And listen, I don't want to just be good for the sake of being good. I don't just want to have a church in a movie theater because it's a cool venue and, and funny videos and cool coffee mugs. Who cares about any of that? That doesn't change anybody's life. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, you laughed a little bit at my stupid light bulb jokes, but they didn't change your life. You know, it's not... Wise and persuasive words, but it's the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I'm telling you, if you come alongside us, if you walk alongside us, we're not going to try to convince you that we're awesome and that we're a great church. But what we are going to do is we're going to point you to a great God. I'm telling you this, your marriage can be restored. Your body can be healed. You can be free of that addiction. Your life can be changed. 
There's power available to you. Holy Spirit wants, empowers me to live supernaturally. And here's the last one. Holy Spirit empowers me to live on mission. Say that. Holy Spirit empowers me to live on mission. Listen, God has not called us to be a bless me club. We don't exist just for the sake of like getting together every week. We're not supposed to have a mentality of, well, us four, no more. We're supposed to have a mentality of more than four. We're called by God to be light where there's darkness. We're called by God to feed hungry people in our city. We're called by God to help women and, 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 and children who are stuck in human trafficking in our community. We don't exist to keep the world out. We exist to be an extension of Jesus to bless the world. Here's the thing. God has asked us to do something that we cannot do. We can't do it on our own power. We have to have his power in order to do this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with? With the? And deep conviction. The bottom line is, is that if we are going to do what God has called us to do, then we need the power that he makes available to us. I want you to come back next week. Because next week we're going to talk about Holy Spirit gifts. Some of you are thinking, are we really going to talk about that one gift? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about them all. We're going to talk about that one. Let's get ready to pray right now. Holy Spirit, I just thank you right now what you're doing in this room. Just go ahead and close your eyes right there where you are. Just lean into what Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart this morning, in your heart today. I pray that you would give us faith. For those of us that desire to be in a relationship with you, an intimate friendship with you, I thank you that you don't hide yourself. You're not keeping yourself away from us. I thank you that we can receive you in our life by faith, just like we receive salvation. Holy Spirit, come and fill us with your power. Some of us here today, we need to take a step. Some of us here today are carrying our sin, you're carrying your shame, you're carrying your guilt, and you need the Passover lamb. You need Jesus, you need the free gift, the gift that comes with one condition, and that's this. God gave his life for you and to you. So he just wants you to give your life to him. it. It's not about church attendance. It's not about how much you pray or read your Bible or how much you gave in the offering or you're serving. Some of you are prodigals. It means you, you knew God at one time, but you've walked away and you need to come back to God today. So I want to give you all an opportunity right now, if you need to, to surrender or re-surrender your life to Jesus, you can do it right where you sit. You don't have to get up. You don't have to come down to the front. You don't have to do any of that, but there is something you have to say. And you have to believe. That's what Romans chapter 10 tells us. It says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I just want to give you this opportunity. If you're here today and you want to make that decision, 
to give your life to Jesus and receive his life for yours, which we get the far better end of that trade. I want to give you the opportunity to do it today. And if you just want to say, hey, J.D., when you pray that prayer of salvation, I want you to include me. If that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand up to God, high, and then you can put it right back down. Is there anybody here today? You say, yeah, I see that hand, I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, yes, I need the Passover lamb. Thank you, God. Thank you. We can all just pray this prayer right now with sincerity in your heart. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for giving your life to me. Thank you for dying in my place. I receive what you did. I ask you to save me and forgive me. Live inside of me and change me. I give you my life. You are my Lord. Jesus, I just thank you right now for each and every person that prayed that prayer. Made that decision. And I thank you that by faith they are saved. And I thank you that their sins are washed away. And that you choose to not even remember them anymore. Thank you that your Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of them to transform them and empower them to change the world around them. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. You are building something great. You are amazing, Jesus. Amen. Amen.